we present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. Welcome to the news quiz. We start with a cutting from the Chelsea Flower Show magazine, read by Carolyn Brown. Nothing says summer more than a sweet pea in the garden. <laughs> and our thanks to Jean Harper for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Francis Ween and Robin Ince. And opposite them on my left, Steve Punt and Fred McCauley. Francis, have a listen to this. Order. Order. <laughs> oh, we can't get enough of it. Um, Francis, whose hasty departure has restored order? Michael Martin. Mm. First speaker in more than 300 years to be uh, driven out of office. It feels very odd watching him be abused by all these MPs because the reason they forced him out, as far as I could see, was that they were very cross with him for letting them mm. abuse the expenses <laughs> system. All these years, they've been pleading with him, saying, stop me before I claim again. <laughs> and he wouldn't listen. Do you know, Francis, then... you've just spoken for three times longer than it took him to resign. <laughs> <laughs> but it is blisters, and it keeps going, because you'd think what could compete with John Prescott's loo seats... Douglas Hogg's moat, or Hugless Dog, as he used to be known at university. Um, and then along comes Sir Peter Vigors with his duck house. That's my favourite. That, uh, that Do you not think the Telegraph, when they got the disc, must have thought, oh, Swedish Duck Island, well, let's save that, because that's too good. <laughs> his justification for it, as far as I can understand, was because he lives down in Devon, he's got this large estate with the duck pond, and he had to build a, a duck island with a sort of pagoda, as far as I can see, in the middle of it, with some um, uh, lovely four-poster beds with feather duvets. Actually, probably not feather duvets. <laughs> Did you not think when you read that there was a man who had built his own island to put ducks on, did you not think that's a James Bond villain, isn't it? <laughs> that's the kind of thing, you know, that gets explained towards the end of the film. These valuable waterfowl, Mr Bond, in just a few days will be released to spread bird flu right around the planet. Do you think when the ducks migrate, he can claim Africa as a second home? I just wonder... <laughs> Uh, but uh, Swedish Duck Island, do you not think that that sounds like a nature documentary on the Playboy channel? I think that's... Uh... I think it sounds like something Jackie Smith's husband might have washed. You know? <laughs> I was thinking, because they're going to need a replacement speaker, aren't you? Do you not think those surround sound ones would be better? <laughs> well, I have asked Anne Widdicombe, so, uh, yeah. How do you spend £8,000 on a television? We spend about £150. It works perfectly well. You bang it on the side when it... <laughs> Well, more, more to the point, how do you spend £18,000 on some bookcases? Who did that? Tam Diel, yeah. Really? Eighteen grand. I mean, has he never heard of Ikea? <laughs> and well, he has a lot of books, because uh, years ago he sent me a copy of a book I'd written and said, Dear Francis, would you please sign this for my wife and me, because we like to have our books signed, and then please return it. And there was this enclosed envelope on Her Majesty's service, postage paid. That was the first tiny clue I got that perhaps... <laughs> Well, actually, we've got three uh, stories there. Francis, uh, I'm still only going to give you two points there, but um, in a speech lasting 33 seconds, Michael Martin has resigned as the Speaker of the House of Commons. He is the first holder of the office to be forced out in over 300 years. The race to succeed Michael Martin has already begun with Robert Mugabe lined up as a popular <laughs> alternative. Uh, it was left to Gordon Brown to tell Michael Martin that his time was up, a conversation so loaded with irony that even American tourists in the gallery understood it. <laughs> Uh, Robin, who's frightened of being kicked in the ballots? 
Oh, well, that's... Uh, Gordon Brown has accidentally at one point revealed that, well, if we have an election now, it's not going to really work for us, is it? We're going to look... Oh, no, that's not really what I meant to say. And then the BNP will get in, so people got to be scared about the BNP. Because so, I don't know who to vote for, oh. except I found out who to vote for, because I got a, a leaflet through the door today from the BNP saying that people like me vote for the BNP, which has made me feel very let down about myself, because I never actually... <laughs> I never actually knew that. David Cameron has been going on and on and on all week about how we should have a general election mm. every opportunity he gets. He says it's a big mistake because the Tories have lost just as much in the opinion polls through their duck islands and so on uh, as Labour. And, in fact, the Lib Dems, all the main parties have collapsed in the opinion polls. And if there were to be uh, a general election now, we would end up with a bizarre coalition of minority parties. We would probably end up with a Green Party BNP coalition. Uh, so we'd have to build wind turbines around the entire coast of the country, but only to blow the immigrants away. So it's kind of short-sighted, isn't it? That mm -hmm. Esther Ranson has promised to stand if there is an election. Yes, um, I think we should have the whole of the That's Life team. Do you not think? <laughs> we could have that Cox dog that said sausages as the speaker. <laughs> old man who used to sit in the chair with he's those misshapen dead, so vegetables, he'd be a laugh. <laughs> Put him in charge of the Lords, doesn't matter if he's dead. <laughs> I liked uh, David Cameron kept uh, talking about a snap election. I thought, what a marvellous way to settle it, a small children's game of cards. <laughs> Perhaps a kaplunk election would be... Oh, buckaroo election, Buckaroo! Surely. That would be absolutely fantastic. Who's in the bucket? Hazel Blairs! <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Brown has refused to call a general election, saying it would plunge the country into chaos. When pushed by Cameron on why he thought calling an election would cause chaos, Gordon Brown said because a Conservative government would cut public spending. It was a little difficult to hear him, though, over the sound of Gordon shooting himself in the foot. <laughs> Cameron believes that the Tories will win the election. Brown doesn't want an election, and Nick Clegg is the leader of the Lib Dems. I just <laughs> thought I'd remind everybody. <laughs> so two points to Robin. Steve. Whose argument has run out of gas? Uh, I'm sure whose argument has run out of gas, but President Obama has managed to pass a law which I think Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, tried to pass, uh, and, and, and no-one would go with it. But now uh, Obama has managed to get through this law which forces American car manufacturers to have a, a minimum fuel consumption on a car, and Obama has finally managed to get this through, which is slightly ironic since he drives a vast armoured limo. Isn't it uh, called The Beast? It is called The Beast, yeah. Ironically, in a, uh, you need to have a massive gas-guzzling car in order to have a lead-free president. So, um... <laughs> it's, um... um uh, Guantanamo, anybody? Supplementary question? What's happening about Guantanamo? As you were. Pretty much, yes. Mm -hmm. The Senate has refused funding to close down Guantanamo. We don't need funding to close something down. Look at Woolworths. <laughs> Well, they're just trying to make Guantanamo a little bit more upmarket, aren't they? They're, they're going to give them lawyers. They are going to allow them to reply to the questions. They'll waterboard them with Perrier. You know, it's, really, <laughs> it's just a little bit nicer. <laughs> they play cricket in Guantanamo. It's quite a civilised place. Sorry. They play um, cricket. <laughs> if you go to Cuba... Down by Guantanamo, there are lots of um, second-generation people whose parents came over from Barbados and places like that to work as cleaners and whatever at the American base there. And so uh, there are seven cricket teams in Cuba, and they're all down by Guantanamo Bay. You can just see somebody hitting a boundary and saying, I'll get this. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a, um, the island in the Atlantic, St. Helena, where they play cricket. There's a rather sharp drop. There's a cliff just off the green where they play cricket. And anyway, this chap was running to catch a ball, and he fell off the cliff and died, but caught the ball. Um, <laughs> and it's the only cricket score in the world, I think, that says out and then says brackets dead. Um, uh, Barack Obama has announced new plans to make American cars more fuel efficient in a bid to cut pollution and lower dependence on oil imports. Obama hailed the deal as a historic agreement to help break America's dependence on oil. Uh, his use of the word historic annoyed George Bush, as in eight years as president, he had never used a three-syllable word. Uh, two points there to Steve. Mr. McCauley. Which uninvited guest could prove royally embarrassing? Is this a tea party, an afternoon tea party? It that, is. Um, somebody from the BNP is coming to tea at Buckingham Palace. Uh, you made that sound so charming. Sorry, someone from the right. BNP is coming to tea. <laughs> it's, 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 well, it's, it's Christopher Robin, he swung. He's people moved like to the you, other side. It's people like you that vote for them that cause all this trouble. <laughs> It's a, it's a London story, isn't it? Isn't there a member of the London Assembly who's been invited as a matter of course? Richard Barnbrook. And he's going to take Nick Griffin, who's his leader. I'm not saying I've got the right answer, folks. I'm not saying I've got the extreme right answer. I'm <laughs> going to just run this up the flagpole and see who salutes, and more importantly, how they salute. <laughs> but uh, why not make the tea party fancy dress? <laughs> It'll be like a white supremacist Where's Wally? <laughs> I'd love to be there at this garden party when they bring round the cucumber sandwiches and say, brown or white? <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> the thing is, there's a lot of fuss because, you know, Nick Griffin might go to Buckingham Palace, but you have no idea what the Queen will say to him. You know, for all we know, she might say, oh, you're that greasy-haired racist bastard, aren't you? <laughs> Says that what she will say to him is what she says to everyone she meets. Have you come far? Not as far as you, you bloody crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find it very odd? We have a, a Danish national party, but it's fundamentally it's a support group for pastries. It's not really. Uh... <laughs> I mean, if we get into anything to do with immigration, we're in favour of the repatriation of the croissant. But other than that, I don't think it's... In, the, in the, uh, the Daily Mail on Thursday, there was a thing, a BNP spokesman supposedly said it would be lovely for Nick Griffin to go to the garden party because he'd meet Prince Philip, who seemed to have a wonderful sense of humour. <laughs> so it's just this image, it's just me two men in a corner going, tell me the other one about those two darkies. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember, Nick Griffin used to be the sexy pin-up of the BMP after they'd had lots of strange crotchety men. Uh, who's the new pin-up? Sexy the Richard Barber from the sexy oh, films yeah. of the... Uh, who, who writes a blog, which is always taken down, because after he's written it two hours later, he goes, that's not what happened, Richard. You didn't go, now, Boris Johnson, I'm going to lay down the line, and then I made everything brilliant and everyone loved me. No, you got sent out again, didn't you, for showing off and doing a wee in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> He Honestly, read Richard Barnbrook's blog. Make sure you read it at the beginning of the day when it's still up before the London Assembly have had to call him to say, we've got a lot of this on film and it's not what happened. <laughs> so I remember I came in, I was wearing a bear skin, I went, I am England! <laughs> no, you didn't. You tripped over your flip-flop again. <laughs> at one point. BNP leader Nick Griffin says he will attend the Queen's Garden Party on the 21st of July as the guest of Richard Barnbrook, a BNP member of the London Assembly. Boris Johnson says the potential encounter could embarrass the Queen. I wouldn't have thought so. She's been married to Philip for 62 years. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, at the end of round one, I can tell you the scores are exactly level. Francis and Robin have got four points, but so too have Steve and Fred. And we start round two with a cutting from the BBC News website. The chairman of the Independent Schools Association has warned that children are too dependent on technology. He said playing outside, fixing bike chains and playing conkers expose children to emotions which would prepare them for adulthood, such as disappointment. (laughs) And our thanks to Duncan Hawkes for sending us that. Francis, which famous monkey was caught between a rock and a hard place? This is not Ida, is it? It, it, Well, apparently Ida. It's a 47-million-year-old fossil with opposable thumbs. Yes. Could very well be the next Speaker of the House of Commons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They found it in Germany somewhere, and David Attenborough's very excited because he says it's the missing link, but actually it isn't because there's no such thing as the missing link. It's a sort of lemur, actually, I think. But it's not half-human. It's not even remotely human. It's a different branch of the family tree. This was actually not our direct ancestor... Um, not necessarily John Prescott. It, it was a, a bit of a dead end that went Well, it was described else. as an aunt of the human aunt. race. I think apparently the proof being a selection of socks, aftershaves and toiletries all wrapped up and ready for Christmas. <laughs> I, think. I, just, I was just interested that they found it uh, in, in Germany because if, if only they'd found it in France, the Americans might have discovered that the missing link was actually a cheese-eating surrender monkey. <laughs> this paleontologist who now has it, this Norwegian gentleman, he was approached by this fossil dealer in Hamburg. Remember him under his coat? Hey, do you want to buy a monkey? <laughs> he was a Cockney German. <laughs> <It> was. <laughs> so how, how much does the monkey cost? Is it a pony? <laughs> do you want to buy a pony? Um, is, is, it, is it technically a transitional fossil? Yeah. Oh, hang on, now the tone's changed. Is it my... <laughs> no, 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 I just wonder, because that is one of my favourite things, because that, that whole uh, creationist and intelligent designers who always say, there's no transitional fossils, there's no... Tra-, and then you show them a transitional fossil and they go, not like that, we want one that's, like, got a fish's head and then a dog's body and little monkey paws. Well, I don't think that's how it works. No, we want one that's exactly halfway through. No, you, you're thinking of werewolves, you know, it's just... <laughs> It's like a start from Africa, you know, if you, go, if you ever talk to people about mitochondrial leave. I once went and did a gig in New York and I talked about mitochondrial leave, who supposedly is uh, the mother of us all. And I said that every single person in this room uh, and every single person in the world all of that comes from mitochondrial leave. And this person went, she sounds like a bit of a whore. And, uh, <laughs> I don't think they necessarily grasp the... Uh... So you did stand-up about something called mitochondrial leave? Yeah, yeah. Did it I go was... well? <laughs> Can, can I just say that since this round started, I've evolved. <laughs> <laughs> the fossil of a 47-million-year-old ape was unveiled in New York this week. It is the oldest primate fossil known to man, even older than Rowan Williams. <laughs> Take your time, that's rather clever. Uh, do you want to buy a joke? Do you want to buy a joke? <laughs> do you want to hear a sermon? Um... <laughs> It's about the size of a cat with nails, opposable big toes and fur. Imagine Hazel Blears, but more human. (laughs) Uh, Two points to Francis. Steve, who survived Scandal to scout for success? Ah, this is Bear Grylls. Last year, he was a bit of a scandal because he was doing a survivalist programme. He's a bit like Ray Mears. He sort of lives in the wild and eats moss. But it turned out he'd been staying in a hotel. But now they've made him chief scout or head scout, which is slightly worrying from the point of view of the message that that sends to the scouts. It slightly worries me because I have to say scouting is not quite what it used to be. My son is a cub 
and he went away on camp last year. He's nine. Admittedly, the weather wasn't very good, but he, when he came home, I said, you know, did you, you know, make a, a campfire and cook sausages and all that sort of thing? And he said, no, Arkela sent out for pizza. <laughs> Were you a you scout? Know. Yeah. Yeah, how many badges did you, what badges did you get? Entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> I fully approve of scouting. I was amazed when I was reading about Bear Grylls. I was, the thing I've learnt, the thing what I have learnt this week is that apparently Scouting for Boys, the still amusingly titled book uh, <laughs> by Baden Powell, <laughs> uh, is apparently it's the fourth best-selling book yeah. uh, ever after the Bible, the Quran, and the thoughts of Chairman Mao. And it's on such a different level, isn't it? <laughs> Were you a scout, Francis? I'm trying to say how many scouts were no, around the table. No, I was more of a girl guide, actually, because uh, <laughs> my mother was uh, a lieutenant, one of the sort of top people in the girl guides. So I used to sit around singing ging gang gooly 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 watch and things like that. And very nice it was too. We had a th- I was in, uh, in Denmark. We didn't, uh, we didn't have scouts, but for the girls, we have something called a blomizer, which means uh, bluebirds. And I was a bluebird. And uh, the pack gives everybody in the pack a, a nickname that they choose. And mine was stump, which means tiny scrap. <laughs> That's why I never joined the Scouts. I yeah. found enough groups of boys who would hang me from a hook by my underpants to not bother finding an extra group of boys on a Friday <laughs> who would do that. There were sandy Danish Boy Scouts because we met some at an international jamboree. And, Did you? Uh, yeah, we swapped badges and things like that, and we taught them that a famous Scottish delicacy was a pancake with raspberry jam, corned beef and custard. <laughs> and, and they tried to tell us you ate raw herring. <laughs> Good to know you're out there doing your bit for detente. <laughs> uh, former SAS soldier and TV survival expert Bear Grylls has been made the youngest ever chief scout, despite claims that some scenes in his show Born Survivor were faked. Bear has denied the claims that scenes in his show were faked, although he has declined to say how he won his fibbing badge. <laughs> Two points there to Steve. Fred, Mary Mary, quite contrary, how does your Play-Doh grow? Is there a question? <laughs> it's actually misleading, because it's not Play-Doh, it's something else entirely. It was plasticine. It was plasticine. This is the non-garden garden. James May, he's been given a gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show mm. for a garden that's made entirely of plasticine, flowers and such like. He got the gold medal, which, uh, in keeping with the irony of having a plasticine garden, is made of clay. <laughs> uh, silver medal went to a photograph of a garden... And I got the bronze for just thinking about gardening. <laughs> I've heard it's a garden of horror. I've heard that morph is buried underneath it. <laughs> it's not morph, it's just another little bit of plasticine we've got. No, it looks like morph. There was a lovely thing, actually, a really sad thing. When Tony Hart died, they actually put a little picture on the internet of morph with a little black armband. Oh, no, I actually did that as well. And, oh, and then I realised that I may well be a little bit simple. I was, I was at the show on Monday. Did you see any gnomes? Can you yes. share that big story about the, the gnomes, people smuggling little gnomes into their displays, which is against the rules? Yes, well, uh, I was actually there to apply for a job for, as one. And, um... <laughs> Did some of the pictures. MPs bring second gnomes? Hey! <laughs> I am going to give Steve Punt two extra points for that. <laughs> That was fantastic and totally uncalled for. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, Top Gear presenter James May has won a prize at the Chelsea Flower Show for a garden made entirely from plasticine. May is carrying out a series of TV projects with children's toys and next plans to see if fuzzy felt can be used in organ transplants. (laughs) At the end of round two, the scores are Francis and Robin have got nine points, but Steve and Fred have leapt into the lead with ten. Second gnome. (laughs) Really pleased me. Um, Francis, which GP showed a head for DIY? Is this the Australian chap? It is. Who took an electric drill to a boy's head? Yeah. Oh, we've all felt tempted from time to time. (laughs) Um, But he actually did it. So a a boy fell off his bike, then it turned out he had a blood clot. The flying doctor wasn't available. and Skippy, the kangaroo, was otherwise engaged. So um, he had to do it himself. So he just asked one of the builders there for an electric drill and drilled it into the side of this boy's head. And incredibly, he managed to save his life by uh, releasing the pressure. Yeah, so although, boy... to be fair, that's only because the builder stopped him from putting a raw plug in afterwards. <laughs> I know someone who did it, trepanning himself like that. Well, uh, on purpose? Yeah. Um, he was a chap, he, he and his partner were both evangelical on the subject of trepanning, where you drill a hole in your, in your forehead to release the pressure. And, uh, in fact, she used to stand for Parliament on a trepanation on the NHS ticket. And uh, he wrote a book about it. And when he did it, uh, he went into his bathroom and got a, a, just an ordinary household hand drill and started cranking it up and going round and round <laughs> his forehead. And the bit broke. Oh. <laughs> so he then went out and asked some builders in the next door house, could he borrow a drill? And went back into his bathroom, drilled a hole in his forehead, and went back and said, thank you very much. What was the party called again? Trepanation on the NHS. <laughs> was it available privately? <laughs> well, DIY, yes. Looking at the current opinion polls, they would win a 42% share <laughs> in a general Mr. election. Mr Ransom will be standing on that ticket. <laughs> uh, Dr Rob Carson, a GP in rural Australia, saved the life of teenager Nicholas Rossi by releasing a blood clot from his brain using a Black & Decker to drill a hole in his head. The 13-year-old boy is expected to make a full recovery, although his skull will have some dent marks from being clamped to the workbench. <laughs> <laughs> Robin, listen to this. You like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Oh, let's call the whole thing off. Do you know, I can't hear show tunes. I once had a car journey with John Barrowman to Plymouth. Ever since then, I can't hear any of them. (laughs) All I hear is a low hum and jazz hands waving. Um... I love show tunes. Do you know, I went to see The Sound of Music for the first time when I was seven years old and I was living in uh, Copenhagen, where I was born. And uh, when you watch films in Denmark, you watch them in English, but you have Danish subtitles, but we don't have a very big pool of of language in Danish, and so subtitling is sometimes a bit curious. And uh, I always spoke both languages. My mother's English, my father was Danish. And there's a wonderful scene where the Reverend Mother says, you know, Maria, wherever God closes a door, somewhere he opens a window. And the Danish subtitle came up and it said, don't worry. No, that's it. That's all it said. (laughs) Scarred for life. Um, Robin, who decided that one potato, two potato was more than enough for the tax man? It's a 42% potatoiness, yes. which I believe, or potatoness that was used uh, for the Pringle. That means at 42%, it's potatoiness, means it's justifiably a crisp. 
uh, as opposed to formally, uh, it was considered a gateau. I have no idea <laughs> whether it was considered beforehand. A cake, uh, you're right, anyone... it was a cake. It, it was considered a cake. They... This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the sooner the BMP get us out of the EU, the better. <laughs> Sake. The, uh... <laughs> so I was accidentally linking the BMP to Pringles. They're not actually linked in the same way. No, Do not are. think Do... that at any point they're standing on a savoury versus cake-based no, tax no, situation. No, it's the fact that they all look exactly the same. They are like the and Hitler Youth of crisps. <laughs> <laughs> They are rather creepy Pringles. The way they, it's like playing spoons, you know, the way they all um, fit in. As Baden-Powell advocated that. He and his wife used to do that in bed. What? It's in one of his books. Eat Pringles? Uh, no. <laughs> it's, um, uh, it was their equivalent of having sex. Um, they, uh, they, they did this thing called spoons, where you just sort of fit, fit you know, around and about, um, in a pringle sort of a way. <laughs> Isn't it odd about barristers? It's such a strange career, because in the same courts of law, you know, there are some barristers who are trying to send murderers to prison for terrible crimes and details of forensic evidence. And next door is a man trying to prove that a Pringle is not a cake. <laughs> you wonder whether he thinks, I wasted all that time at law school, really. It, took, it took four years and 322,000 tubes of Pringles to work it out. So you're saying the judge go, I'm still not sure. The slogan's <laughs> right. Still not sure. Mm. Uh, so two points uh, to Robin. The Court of Appeal has ruled that the snack food called Pringles are potato-y enough to be classed as crisps and are therefore liable to VAT. Roderick Kodara QC argued that the product should have enough potato to give it a quality of what he called potato-ness which the French prefer to refer to as je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Brad Pitt once advertised Pringles, the bland, uninspiring, potato-y product, filmed the ad in 1982. <laughs> uh, before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Mr Ween. Uh, yes, this is from The Guardian. It's an interview with the leader of the Green Party, Caroline Lucas. And the interviewer says, ''Wouldn't the Greens make a more guaranteed impact as a big pressure group than as a little party?'' Believe me, she smiles. I go to bed every night thinking, what is the most effective way of trying to get action quickly? <laughs> Mr Ince. This is um, from an internet job site, and uh, it is very difficult sometimes finding a job and being the right person. I think there's a certain uh, number of pressures on the person who uh, they're advertising for this job. You must be an excellent communicator, both verbally and written, have God-influencing skills <laughs> and be good at building relationships. So, uh... Mr Punt. That's nice that Ronnie Barker's sending them in from beyond the grave. Uh, this is from the Redcar and Cleveland uh, Borough Council website, and on their news page was an announcement that says, Flood warning sirens in Skinning Grove will be sounded on Wednesday, February the 4th, between 11am and 1pm, as part of the Environment Agency's annual maintenance tests. These tests may be cancelled if the weather is wet. <laughs> <laughs> Mr McCauley. Sandy, I have a page from The Telegraph that isn't about MPs' expenses. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Let's take a look at the final scores. Steve and Fred have got 14 points, but this week's unexpected winners are Francis and Robin with 15.
Before we leave you, here is a cutting from Clare People. A North Clare resident who admitted performing lewd acts on himself while following young women around Galway City may be stripped of his crown as Ireland's most romantic man. <laughs> and with that, goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz were Francis Ween, Robin Ince, Steve Hunt and Fred McCauley. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Carolyn Brown. The chair's script was written by Simon Littlefield, Rodri Crooks and Lucy Clark, with additional material by John Luke Roberts and Gareth Gwynne. The producer was Victoria Lloyd.